Welcome to Couch Convos, Centric Biz and Tech Talks. This is John Cackley. I've got Narendra Sundaram with me as co-host, and today we're talking with Mark Paulson to discuss organizational change management, not as a general activity, but an approach adapted to different contexts. So, Mark, Narendra, good morning. Thanks, uh, morning. thanks for getting on here today. Morning, John. Happy to be here, Mark. So we wanted to do this after we were shared a, uh, a recent blog article of yours, Mark, about uh, preparation for OCM. And it inspired Narendra and myself to think about a, a number of other questions on OCM and how OCM engages, you know, with, with uh, frankly, more technological world. It, it seems like a lot of the practices of OCM, I mean, they're solid, they're great, but some of them, from a, from a distance, from a non-practitioner point of view, don't necessarily seem to have adjusted over time. And we'd love to hear more about how they have. So that's where some of our questions are going to go. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So I'm going to find my question. So that one of the first things, you know, a lot of things are talking about preparation, an organization being ready for a, a change program. How do you assess an organization's capacity for change? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, you know, typically at the start of any project, what I first like to understand is where have the, where have those organizations been successful or not successful in managing change, you know, on their on their past projects? What are the successes they've had? What were the failures they've seen? And, you know, what do they attribute uh, to those successes and failures? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the other thing I like to understand is what competing initiatives have they been, you know, for lack of better words, throwing at their employees over the last three years? What are the current projects underway? You know, is the organization fatigued? Are there are other employees just done with change? You know, that's the, that's usually a, a key indicator for me right there. Um, I like to get in a, a sensing for do they have a dedicated internal change management organization? Some organizations do, some organizations don't. But even when they do, oftentimes I find that their designated change practitioners can be supporting multiple projects at the same time, which for any change practitioner will, you know, will tell you um, that doesn't necessarily lead to change management success either. So, you know, change is something you really need to have dedicated practitioners on. And then, you know, one of the other things I look to understand is what is the cultural expectation for their leaders and their people managers to help support and drive change across their organization. Uh, you know, some of the organizations where I've seen change management effect uh, managed the most effectively is when are those organizations that will actually train their leaders and their people managers on how to manage change. And, you know, they by default become part of your, your, uh, your SME group, your, your change network, what have you. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's say you're doing an assessment in preparation for a big program and you see some yellow flags, maybe red flags. Whose role is it to go to the leadership of a program, leadership of an organization and say, you're not ready or you've got blockers? <laughs> well, so for, first off, uh, going to an organization on the lead and saying you're not ready is <laughs> probably not how, how I, I would approach that. <laughs> Um, but the, the role ultimately lands on us as change practitioners, and we need to be able to have very candid conversations with the sponsors and project leaders of those various programs. And, you know, I would say the mo it, it's not just saying, hey, we're seeing some red flags. 
it's where, where the true value that we as change practitioners bring, it's laying out the implications uh, of those, those red or yellow flags that we're seeing uh, and, and the implications of what that means for potential project success or non-success. All right, so is that something where you, you would say, you know, pull the emergency brake, we're gonna wait until we've solved these problems, or we'd say, we just need mitigation plans for these. We've got to go ahead with the change. We know it's going to be a little bit of a rough ride, or we've got to find ways ways around it. How would you approach it? Best consulting answer is it depends. Um, so you know, some projects more or less have definitive timelines and milestones that, for one reason or another, they have to be met. So, regardless of where they're at with the change. They're going live on a set date. So we as change practitioners have to adopt our strategies. And oftentimes it comes down to having the, are you looking for the Cadillac solution or are you looking for the Pinto solution? So that's the, you know, that's a very candid conversation I have to have with those leaders on, okay, g g given where we are, given that you have to, we have to hit certain timelines, given that there's certain budgets or certain resources available, do you want Cadillac or do you want Pinto or somewhere in between and then align from there? Would that be a 1973 Pinto? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a different analogy, you know, yeah. you go. <laughs> yes. Something that doesn't explode. All right. All right. That's a good grounding for us. I appreciate that. You know, how much have you seen technology start to impact uh, your work as a change practitioner? I've got a couple sort of sub questions, but let me just start off just generally. You know, are you, do you feel like you're doing a lot of the same things you've done throughout your career? Or are you seeing adjustments because of changes in technology, whether what's being delivered or, or what tools are available to you? Technology's had a, a very significant impact on how we approach change. So I guess my question back to you, are you, are, are you talking about technology we leverage as change practitioners or technology that we have to support change for? I'm thinking primarily uh, what you have to, you know, what's available to you as a change practitioner, but I could see it going other directions as well. Yeah. So technology for us as change practitioners, you know, I've worked across multiple different organizations. Um, I mean, largely, I'd still say my, my my favorite tools tend to be the Microsoft Office suite. So PowerPoint, Excel. Every now and then, I might get lucky enough to have a in-house change management app to work from but based on my 16 years of experience in the organization you know i still heavily rely on my excel-based templates and powerpoint templates and what have you okay and you know a big thing the last couple of years is, has been suddenly nobody's sitting in the office uh, it's <laughs> a little, little easier to go find people you know put up banners put up signs have a have office hours sort of thing for a big change program. What do you see for adaptations given that you have hybrid or remote work? So, I mean, related to the last question you asked also, I mean, this is where collaboration tools such as Microsoft Teams or WebExes or other, you know, online collaboration tools really come into play from a, from a pure communication and reaching out to the organization standpoint, they allow you to very easily publish communication to targeted groups. They allow you to very easily host things like town halls or webinars, what have you. But I would say where, you know, in terms of 
you know, the hybrid and the remote working environments where, where the key challenges that I've seen is basically those upfront, the, the upfront project work that needs to be done, meeting with leaders to get their understanding and vision and objectives and, you know, what they'd like to see happen for the program. It's getting that upfront understanding around if it's a technical, if, it, if it's a technology change, what is the, what are the impacts to the organization? What's changing? That's all done most effectively in person. Um, and, and, and where we're allowed to, I still prefer to do that in person, but you know, with times we have to adapt. So we have found ways to leverage various online collaboration tools uh, to get the information we need you know, via interviews or online workshops, what have you. Okay. And how about social media as a as a tool for the practitioner? I mean, depending on the organization, some you know, some of them leverage, you know, internal Facebook like sites. They have internal SharePoint sites and and, and what have you. And for us it makes it very easy to leverage channels like that as a as a venue for pushing out communications or even soliciting feedback from organizations so you know where we can we definitely we we definitely leverage that and microsoft teams is another great example okay narendra you want to jump in with a couple questions here sure yeah mark uh, i want to go back a little bit to what you said about tracking the history you know of their past successes now there are two aspects to it. One is if if it's some major transformation they are taking and they didn't have that kind of an experience, right? They may have had maybe small projects. If there's not really a good track record to go by, is there some specific criteria that you follow to assess, you know, whether they can be successful? First and foremost, I would say successful change management is is heavily dependent upon the support and sponsorship that we get from that project or that organization's leadership team. If they're not bought into change management, it's very difficult to push forward an effective change management uh, initiative. Okay. Yeah, no, that's actually a great point. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions too. <laughs> what do you do when you know when leadership is the problem? <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you go about changing that mindset? You know, um, <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a leadership, at a, there's the middle management and there's the senior management, right? The middle yep. management wants to go for change management. They understand because they are in it day to day, and they see the challenges. But leadership is not bought into it, or there's a cultural issue and we talked we'll get into that a little bit but <laughs> and, and and that's where coaching and education really comes into play it's much easier for me to go into whatever level of leadership it is and, and plead my case for why change management is important and, and where the challenges are if i have the data points or actual examples to showcase where their sticking points in the organization and why we need their support on this. It's important for us to remember that it's not just, you're not just dealing with a static situation, right? You get to influence it, right? Yes. And, <laughs> yep. and the, the other thing I want to talk about a little bit about culture too. Culture is a big factor influencing the success of change management programs, mm-hmm. right? So how do you go about, if you know, I mean, other things being good, let's just say, and culture is an issue. How do you create that? Is that 
do you work on that first before you even initiate like a full scale change management program <laughs> or is that also done in an iterative you know bit by bit let's get some small successes first and move towards the ultimate goal so again here it really depends on the organization the client that we're trying to support and what the timelines are i mean ideally i would love to uh, I, I would love to be able to focus on various aspects of culture on most of my projects. Unfortunately, time and budget often prevents that. And we've got to we've got to focus on the things that specifically the client is asking for. Um, you know, I've got a, a current client of mine. Um, you know, they keep referencing the need for a culture of accountability. So that's a discussion that I'm going to be having with them in the very near future on how do they want to go about implementing that and if they want support with that, because it is going to be key as they look to transform their organization. How do you measure something like that? You know, that you're actually making some headway in culture change because probably there are other metrics that you can define around other tangibles but culture is a sort of a hard thing to measure yeah so the the way i like to address culture is working with the clients to define okay first off it's what do you want to become a culture of? So some for some of my clients, it's been we want to become known as a culture of safety. For others, we want to know they want to become a culture of accountability, um, what have you. So it's it's defining what do they want, what is that culture of that the client wants to define? And then it's working with them to identify and and, and I, to, to identify where what, what are those moments that matter in the organization, you know, those process points where uh, you know, specific behaviors would really come to play. And it's working with them to define those moments that matter, say, okay, in this situation, what typically happens, what would you like to see happening? And then developing your training or what, what have you to really help educate the organization on, you know, in this specific experience or this scenario, this is the type of behavior we would like you to model. And then, you know, depending on what that scenario is, it's defining what are, what, what are the metrics or what, what how do we specifically measure it? So it really just measuring it depends on what that scenario is. And it could be a variety of things. One follow that there was a good uh, set up there for actually the one of the things that I want to bring about when you talked about what the kind of culture you're driving for. Let's say we're driving a culture of innovation, right? Where Part of being innovative is you have to be willing to take risks, and that means failures, facing failures sometimes. How would you create, how do you go about creating that kind of a culture? Maybe kind of like a few examples there. <laughs> creating a culture of risk is a challenge. It's challenging because a lot of the clients that I've worked with in the past, some will tell me that, oh, we, 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 we foster experimentation and it's okay if people fail. But then oftentimes you see on the back end of that, or you hear stories where people have failed and then they let go. And so what does that do? Um, it, it actually serves as a detriment to, yeah. you know, that, that, that desired culture of experimentation and failure and people see the writing on the wall and therefore they don't want to take those risks. And then you have the leadership team getting annoyed with, well, why aren't people taking more risks? Why are we not being, you know, well, why are we being so conservative as an organization? Well, it's because the behaviors that leadership 
displays oftentimes don't support that. So it all starts with leadership. If you want to have an organization that culturally is okay with experimentation and the chance of failure that comes along with it, then leadership needs to embrace that at the top and not come down hard on their people when, you know, failures do occur. So if I throw in an observation that when you were talking a little bit ago, it sounds like you have quite a process that you go through to help organizations, leaders identify what kind of organization they'd like to be, maybe something about what the path is, what you know, what are some of the things that it means to be a culture of accountability, a culture of, of safety? Uh, and it's really leading them to those conclusions that you're really facilitating. As a project manager, I come in and I'm usually in a position where I'm making my own assessment of it because it's usually out of the scope of a PM to, you know, try to coach people through that. So how much do you apply your own judgment? You walk in, you, you see all sorts of clues, hints, I tell you what sort of an organization it, it is. But you've got a bit of a, I'd say, a methodology around leading the organization to to reach its own conclusions. It's it's a fine balance. Ultimately, I like the client to come up with their path forward. I, I want it to be their idea, and okay. the, and the way I do that is on any project. I like to first interview the sponsor and the key leads on those projects to get their thoughts and feelings around the organization, what they hope, you know, what their view of success for the project or program is, um, you know, what their own personal pain points and observations are. And then I like to have a workshop with them. And I'll share the outcomes anonymously, of course, of that feedback, and then let them work together to define, okay, what is it that we really want to aim for here? And once it becomes their idea and they will own it, and that, that that's really half the battle when it comes to change. Right, thanks. So uh, Narendra and I were bouncing around a bunch of different ideas, and, and one thing that really came up, because we talk about culture, sometimes we talk about centric culture, one thing that I would say as part of centric culture is vulnerability. You know, that's something we talk about going out and being vulnerable with our clients, and, and we coach people about that. But it seems like the way change management often works in terms of change practitioner you know, sort of the the communications of it are designed around uh, representing confidence, you know, certainty. Maybe we've got it all wrong. That's that's why we're looking here for some coaching. And it seems like how do you match up messages of confidence and you know we know where we're going. We've got this all laid out with being vulnerable as individuals or maybe an organization. How do you match those? One of the very first things I tell my clients is to be transparent. And what that sometimes means is when they don't have the answer, to just say that we don't know that we great question. We don't have an answer for that right now, but we will get you an answer as soon as we have one. All right, and there's yeah, transparency in that case is very close to vulnerability as well. So, you know, obviously there there are things going on in other uh, disciplines at the same time. A big thing in the last probably. I think it's safe to, say, safe to say 10 years is, you know, the agile methodology or various forms of iterative development and so on for for developing new uh, new tools. So some of that, you know, just the iterative nature of it and sometimes the uh, undefined part of it seems like it could cause a bit of a uh, a puzzle from a change practitioning uh, practitioner point of view. How do you adapt? How do you work with a an agile program? 
Let me first say that I personally treat all my change efforts the same, whether they're agile or more traditional waterfall. Okay. We have to, the process is overall the same. The difference is rather than having longer term timelines, now we've got short sprints anywhere from six to eight weeks, if not a little longer, to really hone in on what the key messaging is. And so the trick with agile is we as change managers have to be even more in sync with the overall uh, project manager, the process leads, the technology leads. And we need to know for that agile project, for that specific sprint, what is in scope for that for that specific time frame. What's the timeline? What's the scope? What are the technology implications? What are the process implications? And you know what really helps us is getting those use cases. And if we have all of that, that allows us to very more or less quickly and efficiently develop our change strategy for that specific sprint. So you would even have a change strategy at a sprint level, potentially. When it comes to agile, we have to. We, we've got to follow the lead of the project. It makes things more difficult. I mean, the timing is, is compressed, and that's where really us as change managers need to have a really good working relationship with the project managers to say, hey, look, given the duration of this sprint, given the scope of this sprint, we either have the time or we don't have the time, and that's where that discussion really needs to come into play. All right. And it sounds like you have to be a lot more in contact with what the the rest of the team is doing. And and I have to say, I, you know, you and I haven't worked together, but in my observation of change practitioners elsewhere, a lot of times I haven't seen quite the same, you know, joined at the hip approach. Is that something we've had you've had to do more, or do you think it's always been the right way to do it, and we just it just hasn't been as common in the past? It's the way it should happen in any engagement, whether it's agile or waterfall. Um, the change team, the project manager, and the you know the, the process and technology leads, they should all be joined at the hip. Um, there, there needs to be that ongoing discussion, relationship, what have you, so that the change team is always in the loop. And, and more importantly, so that the, the process and technology leads and program management leads know what the change team is doing and where they need help. It's critical. Okay. All right. Can I ask a quick follow-up on that? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so there are two things. One is when you're talking about Agile, right, one of the big benefits is you define like a minimum viable product MVP so that you can test, learn, and adjust, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had to apply that same kind of a process for change management itself? Because, you know, we tried this change management strategy, but it didn't work. Uh, do we have to, you know, adjust the strategy based on how, you know, the success that we are uh, seeing? I'm going to expand upon your question a little bit. So on all of our projects, we actively seek feedback from the organization, and that could be in the in, in the form of pulse surveys. It can be focus groups. It can be one-on-one -on -one interviews. It could be message boards. It could be emails. It could be feedback from leadership. Whatever, you know, what whatever the form of the feedback is, you know, any change plan should be treated as iterative and iterative. And depending on what that feedback is, we need to modify the change plan. And you know, the change plan is a living document. Just because you define it up front doesn't mean you're going to, you know, leave it as is throughout the duration of the project. Typically, the longer the project is, the more often you have to make tweaks to the change plans because you learn new things, things change. 
uh, you don't get the, re the, the reactions you're expecting from the end users, what have you. So the, the change plan needs to be very dynamic and it needs, and those updates need to be based on those feedback, that's those signals that you're getting from the organization. Now, given that, is there a perfect time when change manage, manage, management practitioners should be brought in? Is it at, at right the start at the beginning? Of the at the start of the project, change management is most effective when it's when it is initiated at the start of the project. But what if you know, as part of the change, you know, you're not really clear what your goal is or how you're implementing a solution, and that's still in flux. You know, there could be changes happening. How do you account for that? You know, does that still work well, or is it? Well, our, our role as change practitioners at the start of any engagement is to ensure you have that upfront leadership alignment. And I can't tell you how many projects I've been on where I'll interview, you know, anywhere from five to eight different leaders. And coming away from those interviews, I realize they all have different visions and objectives for what that project is. And as project managers, I know <laughs> I, I know that you've seen this happen. And when that happens, projects are a lot more difficult to reach, you know, successful outcomes. So as a change practitioner, my focus is making sure that leadership is aligned. And then from there, I can start creating common messaging. So to your point, I may not know what's specifically changing early on in the project, but I, you know, once I get that leadership alignment, I can start communicating out what the vision is for that project to the organization, what the desired objectives and outcomes is for that project or program. And that's where really the magic starts. John? All right, uh, last question I have is, Mark, let's say, you know, big, big transformation project, it's coming down near the end. What makes you say, hey, we, you know, the, from a change practitioner point of view, we we delivered. We did what we were supposed to. This was a success. When at the end of the day, end users are able to function as desired by leadership at Go Live. If you know, if if they know how to perform their jobs, if they know how to use the technology, if they're following the processes. If they've all taken their training, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if the end users are able to, for the most part, work as intended in the new way, um, that to me is success. And, you know, it's not success when you're getting questions from end users on, well, I don't know how to do this this task, or I don't know where I'm supposed to go for this. That means somewhere along the way, the, the change management uh, dropped the ball. So, you know, we, we look at the work that's getting performed and if end users know how to do their jobs, albeit it's gonna be a slow, it's gonna be a slow ramp up, but as long as they're able to do their jobs, I view that as a success. All right, so your definition uh, is basically identical to what I would say project success, success is when I look at it as a project manager. There's a little other dimension. Okay, the users can do everything, they're fully skilled, but they hate your guts. They're grumbling. They don't like what they don't like the experience. But they can do everything. What, what do you feel? Did you succeed? Does it matter if they hate your guts? <laughs> there's there's always some of that on any project. You're never going to make everyone happy, and that's just okay. something that we as change practitioners and even you know client leadership has to accept. Um, 
we do our best to address all the needs of the organization. You're going to have end user. You're going to have a group of end users out there that are early adopters and all supportive of the change. You're going to have a group of end users out there that you know they're going along with it. They're overall they're happy, but you know a little cautious. And then you're going to have a group of end users who just are flat out against the change and don't want to change how they work. And that's just the nature of the beast. You're not going to please everybody. Okay. All right. That's, that wraps my questions. Narendra, did you have any others? Yeah, actually, I wanted to uh, wrap up with like one final thought. It's more tactical. Training is a big part of change management. Yes, it is. Um, is it something that who should deliver the training? My personal perspective on this is training is most effective when it's delivered by the client themselves. And so what that means is that we as the contractors, the consultants, are the ones likely pulling together the learning content, but then there needs to be an effective train the trainer session with the client trainers to make sure they fully understand, you know, what it is that they need to deliver training on. And typically I found most success when those trainers have been involved with the development of the solution. So they're not walking into the train the trainer event without having knowledge of what are the new processes, what are the new systems, what's the culture. They need to be actively engaged throughout. All right. Okay. All right. So as we wrap up, Mark, any other thoughts you want to leave us with? Any deep insights you've been desperate to share with the world and <laughs> are looking for this great opportunity for? No, I mean, I would just say that those organizations that know that their their, their true value is their people are the ones that typically get change right. All right. That goes on a bumper sticker. <laughs> that goes on a sign in the uh, in the break room. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. I think we'll wrap here. Thanks, Mark, so much. It's been great. This has been Couch Convos, Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Thanks to Mark Paulson for joining us today and to Narendra for co-hosting with me. And thank you for listening. <laughs>